this has the, the opportunity for the greatest turnaround in college football exists here today, and it's not one to be taken lightly. will field it at the 5 to the 10, pass the numbers to the 20, 25, look out, 30. He's at the 40, to the midfield strike, to the 40, down the far sideline, 10, 5, to the house, Wildcat touchdown for Tremaine Thompson. Welcome to Bring on the Podcast. Here's your host, A. Hernali. special episode of Bring on the Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson, and we're going to be talking with several different Wildcat players today about Bill Snyder, looking back at Bill Snyder 1.0, as we call it, and very happy to have our first guest, is a former All-American linebacker who played 1997-1998, was a Fiesta Bowl champion, went on to play the pros. It's Jeff Kelly. Jeff, really happy to have you on today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And so, you know, you were coming up through high school right about the same time that, that Bill Snyder was really, you know, starting to get the turnaround going. You know, you grew up in Texas, and then by the time you got to Garden City Community College, K-State was kind of starting to make a name for itself on the national scene. I guess to start with, you know, what did you know about Bill Snyder and Kansas State before they started recruiting you? Nothing, really nothing. <laughs> coming from Texas, you know, you have Texas Tech a and you know, those are the places that I really wanted to go, but they didn't take junior college football players at the time. But with Brent Venables was coming, nobody really knew where I that I was where I was. I was at Garden City. I I had a left Stephen at Boston, which was my coach there was Gene Chizik. So I was pretty well polished as a football player. Mm-hmm. So when I went to junior college, all of a sudden I they they come to look at Darnell McDonald. They found me, you know, and I had just showed up at Garden City. Of course, Jim Gush was my linebacker coach at the time. Not a linebacker, but my head coach. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just kind of was kind of fake, kind of really, really found me. And then I started researching Kansas State, and they were winning. They were a really good football team. I remember the first game I watched them play on TV. They played Nebraska in 96 mm-hmm. at home. And that's kind of where I kind of was like, okay, it's school worth watching. Mm-hmm. And uh, they turned out to be the real deal. Yeah. Was the chance to sort of be a part of building the, the program, was that appealing to you compared to, you know, I know you had other big schools like I think Oregon and Oklahoma recruiting you, right? Well, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people that take claim on building a program, I know that program was already built. Okay. They had leaders in place that were running that program as far as players. And they had people there who you just came there and you kind of just fell in line. And they guided you to a way either you did what was told or you got left behind. And those were the player pools. And so I was one of those players who bought in and you just took off. And I surpassed the people 
luckily I was voted captain. At this point in the conversation, we stopped recording for some reason. So in this, Jeff is talking about what Best Candy does and the foundation he laid. So we'll just jump right back into this quick conversation, kind of awkwardly. Sorry about that. The foundation that he led for a bunch of men was that respect gets you a long way. Believe in the system. And the system, if you work the system, the system will work for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just the truth. And so do you think that mindset of guys, you know, really wanting to play now, do you think that's maybe part of the reason that Coach didn't get as many of the blue chip recruits in his later years? Do you think that, that plays a part? You know, that's just the truth. Yeah. I didn't yeah. think coach but a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah, it was Brent Venables was the main thing. Yeah, so team, right? yeah. that's the coach's, to me, that's the coach's responsibility. Now, you know, I've heard of some ways how, I mean, I, I was at Fort Scott a couple years ago, and I sent like eight or nine guys off my defense division one. Mm-hmm. You know? And not one of them got offered to K-State. I'm talking about Florida State, Tennessee. Hmm. Oklahoma State, you know, and none of them got got offered by Kansas State. You know, I don't know what what the reason was, but yeah. it was what it was. I recruited a lot of those guys and signed them out of high school. And believe me, while I was there, there was a good shot that uh, K State would have got them if, I, if they would have offered them. But if they can't offer them, they wouldn't have got. Can't get them. Yeah. yeah. You know. Did, um, did you have connections at K State? Did you talk to people there? Or? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know Taylor. Yeah. I know Taylor Brett very well, but I know there's a process at Kansas State. Right. And the coach's process is his process. And I respect that. And uh, But, you know, with kids graduating in December now, it's kind of different back when I was coming out. Kids graduated in the spring. Mm-hmm. Now they come out, so they can have three years. They come out in December. And so it's just time for changing. But, I mean, that, that's not to say that coach can't change or – it's just crazy. It, it, it's, it's different to see him gone. It, it will be right. – they will never be the same, truly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. And so, you know, when you were there, you, you guys had that first year, win 11-1, and won the Fiesta Bowl. I mean, did you kind of have the sense that, that, that something special was going to happen in 1998? I mean – I never – my deal, I think with most of the JUCO guys, they never feared any team. Mm-hmm. I think before we got there, they kind of were so used to losing to Nebraska, so right. used to losing to to Team Colorado. We just never knew anything about them. I never knew what the records were until you heard about it. Yeah. You know, I got worked up to play the Texas team. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, I got worked up to play the Texas team. And so I think that's what more of the JUCO guys, I think that was our mindset that we don't lose anybody. I'm not a loser. So everything mm-hmm. I do, I try to be great at. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind, of the, that's kind of the mindset is that nobody really cared about the record and the past. And, the, and it was just a great nucleus of guys who came in and they fell in the order and they did what was supposed to be done. And they refused to lose, and a bunch of people who were tired of losing to a certain school, and they put it. We just put it together as a group. We came, like Coach says, we all became a family. Mark just texted me yesterday, telling mm-hmm. me that he for my my birthday was yesterday, saying that he loved me and yeah. 
family misses me, and uh, I was with him when he met his wife. We were in Atlanta together. So, you know, it's that type of deal that, you know, and I talked to some of the young players I host. I talked to Josh Buell, Terry Pierce, Zach Niles. Yeah. I talked to all of those guys, you know. So it's truly a family, regardless of who's going to be there. You know, first of all, regardless of who's going to be there, we try to stay close and try to be there for each other. But what – people don't realize is that was all instilled by coach he talked about that he preached about that mm-hmm. you know and that's just what he did from and that's what brought us close together and uh that's it you couldn't get the big head at kansas state when i played yeah yeah and so there you- was no big head people at kansas state when i played uh, we nipped that in the bud in the heart <laughs> yeah yeah so you, you mentioned mark and I, so i've heard a story about mark we've talked to nick lefty a couple times and, you know, he played after you, but he said um, there's a story about Mark Seminole being the only player to ever really receive praise from coach after a game that played pretty close to a perfect game. And were you in the locker room when that happened? I was, that was actually at Texas. <laughs> that would be pretty good. Uh, but that was actually at Texas the year after I left. Okay. okay. And, um, I'm pretty sure that I think I had like 11 tackles, five for loss, two cost formers, and a pick for a touchdown the year before against the same team <laughs> with a Heisman Trophy candidate. So, you know, it's it, 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 whatever, you know what I'm saying? It's whatever. You know, and Mark knows it. Believe me, I've dealt Mark that too. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. Uh, so, because I'm, I'm the guy that does keep his mouth shut. I voice my opinion. Yeah, pretty well, yeah. but yeah. with respect, <laughs> you know, because you know. But of course, I mean, I heard that somebody mm-hmm. actually called me on that. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, it's what it is. I mean, it's what it is. I mean, it's just what it is. And Mark did have a great game, and uh, yeah, that's just what it is. Yeah, yeah. Guess this is kind of the, the way Coach was, though. Right? He's always finding something to that you can improve on. It's kind of his mindset. Oh, 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 totally, mm-hmm. totally. <laughs> and so, you know, you're talking about Nebraska. Like when, when you guys did beat Nebraska in '98, did it seem like that was an extra special win to Coach? Did he react any differently to that one, or was it just just another game? I think, of course, we all knew what it meant to Coach. Mm-hmm. I don't think we paid attention to what it really meant for us. I think we just played for each other. It's so crazy. I never worried about, of course, I worried about, like, what a coach thought of me as far as a player or a person or anything of the sort. But we played for each other. I knew if I looked to my left or if this was going to happen, I knew that Mark or – I played with beast, man. Yeah. <laughs> I go in 90% of the time, we didn't play past the half. I go, we beat people so bad, we didn't play past the half. Yeah. yeah. So losing, I mean, Nebraska beat, didn't beat, but beat, the year before Nebraska beat the brakes off of us mm-hmm. with Amad Green and Scott Frost and all those guys. But the year after, we knew it wasn't going to happen again. We just, But we really didn't even, we knew we were better than them. I mean, even defensively, I look at it, we have five turnovers on offense. And we still win the game. Yeah. yeah. That's, That's unheard of. I mean, so, especially with a team like that. And uh, so, 
we really didn't pay attention. I don't think we paid attention to. I know me. I didn't pay attention to. I took it as the next game. Mm-hmm. I took it. I literally took it as the next game, and uh, I never looked at people being better than us. We knew that the work that we put in over the summer, and you know, not missing workouts, sacrificing, not going home, and things like that. We knew what was going to happen. I think we knew the end result. Yeah. And then, you know, the 98 championship game, of course, there, there was the famous quote from Coach that, that he later apologized for. That he said it felt like losing a family member. I mean, did you, did you see how he took that one especially hard? Well, you know, I got hurt during Colorado game. Mm-hmm. I didn't practice. I just played in the game mm-hmm. after that. After the fourth game of the season, after Colorado, I, I didn't practice. I just played in the game. I tore a ligament in my leg, so if you notice, I started wearing a big knee brace. Yeah. And after the the fumble that I pick up against Nebraska, I break my toe when the guy dies in the back of my leg. Ooh. So I was pretty, pretty banged up after that. Yeah. You know, and I looked at it as a lot of guys who I probably should have had a knee surgery right away. Probably cost me from me going to like a late first second-round draft pick, that's why I dropped to the sixth round. I couldn't really run. I had a knee surgery January 1st mm-hmm. after Purdue game. The next day, I had a knee surgery. Yeah. So, it kind of, you know, with the championship game, I'm actually friends with Sir Parker. We talk on Facebook quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't play past the half. I didn't play past the half because I was saying I was hurt. Ben Lieber comes in and plays. So, literally, I think that game, it was heartbreaking. Right. I didn't sleep for three days. I was supposed to go to the Bronco Nagurski the next day. So, me and Martin Gramatica stayed. He was going to the Lou Grosa. I was going to the Bronco Nagurski. Mm-hmm. And we stayed up all night. And then... We flew to the Bronx. I, well, I wasn't going to go. I told Coach I wasn't going. I was going back to be with my teammates. Mm-hmm. So I was the only person in the shower. They go get my mom, and my mom makes me go. <laughs> 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 so, so, and my dad. So, literally, it was. I didn't sleep for three days. I didn't close my eyes for three days. I was at the Bronco University. I heard that we were playing Purdue. By Patrick Kearney, who was a end up being a first round draft pick, he goes, "Dude, you guys are playing Purdue. You're throwing the country, and you're playing Purdue at the Alamo Bowl." <laughs> yeah. And I got a call from Cooper in the middle of the night, and yeah, I was just I man, I'm just sitting here watching the sunrise downtown Charlotte at <laughs> the yeah. Adams Mart. And so it was tough. That was a life changing game. It was a life changing game for a lot of people. I think if we win that game, Michael Bishop probably is a first-round draft pick. Yeah. I think he might win the Heisman Trophy and those type of things. I think because if you look at it today, he probably would have won, won the Heisman. If you look at the head-to-head matchup with Ricky Williams, he probably would have won the Heisman Trophy. Yeah. So the way they do things, I mean, they they made the BCS for us. <laughs> right, right, the K-State rule. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> it's kind of – no, here, no, there. So it, mm-hmm. it was, it was a tough game. You know, I, I never see, I've never watched that game. Yeah, I've never watched it. It's on TV 
people will call me and say that it's on TV or whatever. I don't want to watch it. It brings back some bad memories, and so it's what it is. I mean, of course, that game will always haunt us. Right. You know, it should, I mean, it was, if nothing changes, it, it'll haunt, haunt Kansas State forever. So actually, that's something you brought up, Michael Bishop. We, we've talked a little bit about this on our vlog. How it seems like since, since then, Coach has been trying to recruit, you know, quarterbacks in the model of Michael Bishop. I mean, do, do you agree with that? You think like that's kind of uh, Coach's ideal quarterback? You know, I've been on, I've been on staff at Kansas State. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a GA there in 2004, left and went to Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bishop would do better in today's NFL than than when he came out. Yeah. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah. It's so crazy. But a lot of people don't realize about Mike. He's the first quarterback to ever start for for Bill Snyder his first first day on the job. Yeah. You know, and that's just what it was. And people <laughs> give him a lot of flack for saying that he didn't know. Nobody knew that soon. <laughs> yeah. No one knew that soon. And I think he get, he got he gets a bad rap for that. Nobody knew the offense, but coach knew that Mike was a playmaker. If he didn't know it, he'd get it done, which he did. Yeah, yeah. And so, just to talk a little bit about your time after K State, you know, what did you do? Did you rely on coaches at all, or did you kind of go to your own thing as you were? Well, you know, it's so funny since I was hurt. Mm-hmm. I had a knee surgery January first. I went in and talked to Coach and told him that I would be withdrawing from school mm-hmm. and uh, going to Dallas to train. And literally, to this day, probably one of the worst mistakes I made with Coach Cole because I went back after I got cut from Atlanta in 2004. Mm-hmm. Oh, 2003, I came back and. My pro day I ran in 2004, and I signed with Jacksonville. I did the best I've ever worked out because I just stayed with the team, and I just worked out. I was an assistant. I was helping with recruiting with Jay Kaiser, and that's all I did. I trained, worked out. That's what I did. It was just, And so I think I ran like a 4, 5, 6. I was 250 pounds. I jumped. I ran. I did a great job. So I ended up – but I was hurt. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was hurt. So I was trying to do what was right for me at the time after the championship game was over. And so or the Purdue game was over. So, um, yeah, a lot of guys choose that option. But my thing is, is to stay. 
But a lot of people don't have the willpower to get up and go. Now you don't have to. You don't get ran because you missed. Now you don't get in trouble because you missed class. Now you don't get in trouble because a lot of guys don't have that discipline. So they opt to go somewhere where there's a bunch of guys doing the same things that they are doing. So I understand that. Yeah. And so then, you know, you got into coaching, obviously. And, you know, what lessons did you take from, from Bill Snyder or Brent Venables, other guys on the staff? And what, you know, what do you do now with your player? With your uh, player? You know, accountability. Well, one thing I did take from coach, you don't become a great coach right away. There's a lot of things to learn. Mm-hmm. When I was a GA at K State, I wasn't a great, people assumed because I played in the league that I was a good coach. I had to learn to become a good coach. I had to get myself around some good coaches. I took some from all of them. I'm more of a a younger Brent Venables kind of, not anymore. I think I'm getting older and I'm too, <laughs> too much of a yeller, but so I had to come down off of that one. Mm-hmm. And the kids are changing, so you have to adapt. Yeah. You have to adapt. And, you know, you have to adapt. And you got to get to know kids. And you got to, you know, my job is, I always say my job is not called friend, it's called coach. You know, and so because you have to get a kid to do what they're supposed to do on the field and off the field. But sometimes they don't know what to do. They come from homes. And I learned that. I learned that from coaches. Coach Coach Koz, I worked under him as a GA. I mean, I had the luxury to be in play for some great coaches. So you kind of think in recruiting, you know, you got to believe that you're the best recruiter out there. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to. Mm-hmm. And when you walk in a room and you're in the presence, I mean, I, I did it as a JUCO player. I've been in a room with guys from D1 all over. But the coach needs to get his kids to junior college and D1 guys know what kid they want. So the coach makes them all get out of the room and just leaves me in there. You know what I'm saying? So you develop those – and you develop the confidence in recruiting. And I personally – when I was recruiting, I I saw that no coach could beat me. I don't care what school it was. I've taken kids from – Everybody even got convinced kids to go JUCO when they shouldn't have gone JUCO. <laughs> so, so it's kind of, it is, it's kind of, it is. It, it, it's, you take from every, you take from every walk. It's just how to treat kids, how to learn your kids, you know, what background they come from. Like right now I'm sitting outside at my parents' house and there's nothing around. I come from a hardworking <laughs> environment and it's self-imposed. You can either do it or you don't do it. If you don't do it, your place is going to look like crap. And my dad is not going to let his place look like crap. So <laughs> that I was the only son, so I was the one that it, the burden fell on. And I, I did it. Kind of, yeah. kind of way I played, the kind of way I worked. I just worked hard, kind of shut my mouth, yeah. and just went on about my business. Yeah. So I'm curious, when you were a GA at, at Kansas State, did you see a different side of Bill Snyder? Did you- you know, you see anything? I know we, we've heard some stories about their assistant coaches who who don't want to put in that many hours, as many hours as he demands that want, want to work for him. You know, well, I put in some, like, as a coach now, I put in some long hours for myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know guys who work for me. I, I actually work for a kid that I hired. Uh-huh. And he tells the people how long I used to keep him up. <laughs> because to be a to me, to be a great coach, you have to be able to learn, especially when you're young. Yeah. If you don't see, I think, and it takes long hours. And some people don't believe in that. But that's when you have an experienced staff. That's when 
you know, you have guys who know how to take care of their own business. And sometimes when you don't have that, you have to require some things. Just the long hours, the harder work, even though you're sitting at your desk and you're gardening. But there's a logic to all of that. And I, I respect that. And I've, I've taken that from, from coach. Because always say, if you put in the time, something has to give. It has to give. And I firmly believe that if you put in the time and you put in the effort, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Yeah. And so, and I think that I get that. And I just believe in the system and the system works. It may not work for all, but the people who buy in, it works for them. Mm-hmm. And I think he's always appreciated that. Yeah. All right. Well, Probably about time to let you go. We really appreciate you coming on. Glad to hear you always be part of the KCA family. Thanks so much. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right. And so now we move on to an all-Big 12 player and a Big 12 champion. Played from 2000 to 2003, Andrew Scholl. Andrew, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. So you grew up in, in Missouri, right? Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. And so how much did you know about Bill Snyder before K-State started recruiting you? I mean, I know they just won a Big 12 title, so you probably at least knew who he was, right? Yeah, so, you know, my first year actually was 99. So okay. K-State yeah. at that time, my senior year, was the year that they lost in the Big 12 championship to A&M. And, and mm-hmm. you know, but I was actually at the Nebraska game as a recruit okay. that year. But, you know, for me in Southwest Missouri, everybody was all Nebraska, you know, because of Grant Winstrom and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously Grant's an awesome player, and the, all the Winstrom brothers were great. But at that time, K-State was, like, on the rise in the Big 12, and, and you know, they just beat Nebraska. And so, you know, I'd already, I'd already committed to K-State at the time. We were kind of entering the landscape of, okay, a powerhouse in college football. So I knew about Coach Snyder and obviously a lot of the assistants that were there, and, and that's what led me to K-State. Yeah, yeah. So what were your, your first impressions of Coach Snyder then when you met him? You know, Coach Snyder, he's always even killed. Right. I mean, he, he's never too much one way or the other. And I think when I first met him, I just remember how, you know, just how respectful he was about everything, about how he treated me like an adult, even though I was a kid, mm-hmm. you know, a young kid at that time, you know, 18 year old kid. But just about how he cared for me, not only as a player. Right. But just yeah. as a person. So and he was always, you know, forthcoming with me. Yeah. And so we, we hear about Snyder. And like you said, the, the respect he shows and also, you know, his work ethic. And so you grew up on, on a family farm, kind of that same blue collar work ethic. You know, did you feel like you connected with that? I do. I mean, I, I think in li- in everything in life, even now in my business and, and just I'm trying to teach my eight year old son that and my 10 year old daughter and, and both all my kids. Right. Mm-hmm. Two younger daughters like you get out of life what you put into it. Right. I mean, hard work and the right mental attitude can take you so much further in life than, you know, if you, you don't, right? They just, you can outwork people. You can just have a good mental ethic, uh, work ethic. And, and by doing that and by having the right attitude, you're going to, you're going to succeed. And I think that's something that I think it's lost in a lot of the younger generations, younger than me. I mean, I'm 37, but a lot of generations younger than, than, than me, I think it gets lost that, you know, we want to get somewhere from point A to point B and we want it to be real quick. And, and a lot of times that's not the case. And, You've got to be consistent. You've got to have that day, you know, work day in, day out. And that's something that you know, I grew up in on a farm. And you did the same thing a lot of the time. And and some people might think that's monotonous. But, again, a lot of people that are successful have the ability to do that. And I think that's what he, he taught. And, that, and that's how I still am today. 
Yeah, and since you mentioned the younger generation, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about how, you know, back when you were playing, K-State was really getting some some top-end recruits, you know, some really good players. That hasn't happened as much in recent years. I mean, do you, do you think that's because of what you talked about with the generation? Snyder, you know, that work ethic is maybe not there? Or do you think Snyder's made a conscious decision to, to not go after some of those? No, I mean, I think, you know, Manhattan does probably have some of its recruiting challenges, right? I mean, sure. it, it's you know, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. You know, I think that a lot of times they're not as flashy as some of those other things. But I'll say this, okay? I've been around guys that had, they were, you know, freaks of nature, as we used to call them, right? They were the most mm-hmm. talented guys you'd ever even run into. They could bench press a truck. <laughs> and sometimes those guys aren't the most talented. I'd take any person, even if my son grows up and he's not the biggest, the fastest, the guys that are willing to put in the time and outwork people and that are just tough, that are just relentless, those are the guys that made up a lot of our teams. We didn't have a lot of guys that were just blue chippers. You know, we had some guys mm-hmm. that were good, but I wouldn't even class myself to be one of those guys, right? I didn't have all the talent in the world. I mean, I, I just felt like I always outworked people, and we could make it through anything. I mean, that has its limitations to some point, but, you know, we faced that Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game, right. and probably, you know, eight, nine times out of ten, they might be us, but you know what? We were just tougher than they were. I mean, we wanted it more than they were. We had the desire. We put in the time. We put in the effort. And not that they didn't either. I mean, they have scholarships just like we did, but you had so many more NFL guys on their team make it than, than we did. Sure. But just the fact that we were relentless, and I think that those are the guys you look for. And you know, Manhattan's always going to have those challenges, just because it's where it's at. Where, you know, it's in the Big Twelve. It's not an SEC school, maybe. It's not a Texas or an OU. But if you find those guys, and they get a coach in there that can find and recruit them, and that believes in the coach, I mean, you, you got you can you can make things happen. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, another thing people talk about is, is Snyder's attention to detail and uh, controlling everything. You know. With, was that, again, something you were used to, or, you know, were there ever frustrations because of that? No, I mean, I'm a, I'm a type A personality myself, so I like to have the control of things, so I totally get it. I mean, he'd yeah. always say, and I say this all the time, so many things. My wife would laugh at me if she was listening to me right now, because there's so many things that I do in my daily life that are so Bill Snyder's, right, mm-hmm. that, that he would do, but he would always say, you know, if this ship's going down, I'm the one at the helm. He's the one that's ultimately responsible, so therefore he needs to be the one to make the decisions. And yeah. You know, there would have been times where, you know, it would have been nice to, to do something, you know, change a uniform or do something maybe, I, I don't know, something something mm-hmm. like that. And you're in college, and, 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 yeah, maybe it would be nice. I remember the first time, my redshirt freshman year, I remember we were at the Holiday Bowl, and it was Christmas morning. And I remember we were on the practice field at like 730, right, because <laughs> that's what we did, right? It was like mm-hmm. game, you know, it was day four in game prep. And I remember thinking, like, this is crazy. It's Christmas morning. I cannot believe I'm practicing. And, like, we would run at the end of practice, right? Like, yeah, hey, Merry yeah. Christmas. But, but, you know, you look back on it and you think, did I die? No. Did yeah. it make us better? You know, we ended up winning. You know, it, it, it's the whole point of sometimes things are they're going to be difficult, right? But you, yeah. you get, just have to work through them. And that attention to detail is something that he's known for. And it's something that I respect today. I hope and I pray that my kids get that from me because if they do, they're going to be a step above everybody else. Everybody. Mm-hmm. And I know we've had, we've had Nick Becky on this podcast, and he's told us about cat time. Do you still live by cat time? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're on time, you're late, right? Mm-hmm. And and I, I coach I coach a slip baseball team. I coach football. I coach volleyball. Believe it or not, I coach basketball. I do all mm-hmm. those sports. And mm-hmm. every team, I don't care if they started when they're four or five, and now I've got eight, nine, and ten year olds. 
right? It's always the same thing. The little things count. Your foot's behind the line, you right when you're running. It's simple stuff like that, right? It's being yeah. on time, you know, showing up and you know, expecting to win. I mean, I still have a copy of his sixteen, you know, goals for success. I still have that right here in my desk right now. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. I think you get a collective body of, of kids that believe in that, and I think he's got a lot of good kids there. And I think he has he's had a lot of them through the years. Right. And so, yeah. you know, they, again, they may not be the most talented, but if they have a collective body that believe in that and whoever the next coach is can instill that in them, it's going to work. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. So do you have any times that the, you can remember when you got in trouble, you had to do an extra running or anything like that? Never did. I never had to run. Not one time okay. in five years. I never was uh, late. I never skipped class. Wow. And yeah, I never did. Now, I know some people that had to do a lot of it. Uh, you can, <laughs> I always give my brother-in-law. Sean a hard time because he was always doing those 6 a.m., whatever they called them back then, but I never had to do one, so. All right, that's cool. Yeah. Well, then one thing that, you know, I think is cool, obviously, that the teams were always very disciplined, and but at the same time, it felt like you guys were allowed to play with with swagger. I mean, did you feel like Snyder would allow your personality to shine through, you know, as long as you weren't getting penalties or something? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I told, always told myself if I ever scored a touchdown, you know, I was either going to punt the ball into the stands or spike it. I didn't care. Right? I mean, he would have got on me for that. But at the end of the day, like, I mean, come on, I'm a defensive lineman that scored, right? So, but I think he he did. But you had to obviously operate in his system. Yeah, I hear guys all the time, and I say this. I, I see people online talk about it, you know, through whatever Facebook or social media, and some former players that talk about maybe big wave right now is how maybe Coach Schneider, you know, held on to their bowl ring or. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, or something like that. Well, you know what? If you had your stuff together and you did it right, because I know those guys, then he mm-hmm. wouldn't have to do that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know as an employer today when I have to reprimand an employee, right, or when I have to do something, if you're doing your job and you're finishing things and you're doing what he asked, he's going to do that, right? He, he doesn't have time for that, right? He's, he's doing that because you didn't do something along the way that you were supposed to do. So I get tired of hearing grown men cry about something that happened either 10 years ago or they're currently going through because they just didn't handle their business. They just didn't go to class. They didn't show up on time, right? I mean, name what environment in today's real world, once you get out of college and playing football, they allow you to do that. Nobody does, right? Nobody does. But yet people complain about that. Those guys, those early 90s teams, that you know, you watch that Miracle Manhattan that I recently watched the other day because somebody sent it to me again. I hadn't seen it in a while. Uh-huh. Look at those early guys on there. You know what? They just left. Right? Yeah. A lot of those guys quit, but those early guys that stayed, that were part of that foundation, that were there, they weren't complaining about that kind of stuff because they took care of their business. You're either on the bus or you're off the bus, right? You either get going with it or you don't. And that was his whole philosophy, right? You're either with us or you're not here. And I, I, so, again, I don't mean to get on my soapbox, but I, I get fired yeah. up because – No, that's fine. And, you know, the I'm other thing, you can – whatever you think about those complaints, I think it's telling that – they come out, you know, not until K-State starts losing a little bit. Like, while it was winning, nobody was complaining, you know? Correct. Correct. You know, I think that that's kind of telling, for sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I was looking back a little bit. I actually found a story that was written on K-State's website in, in 2003 that kind of talked about, you know, I think it talked about, it was mostly about how you met your wife. Um, yep. But it also mentioned that you were a guy that liked to joke around and, and do some pranks and stuff, you know? you have any yeah. good stories from that? Or did you ever involve Coach Snyder in those? Or? No. I mean, <laughs> gosh, it's been so long ago. I don't yeah. think that I, – I didn't have any – I mean, we were always just having fun. I mean, that was the thing about, you know, our teams. You know, big, our senior class was really close, right? I mean, we were yeah. that 
I, we were the team that you know beat Nebraska the first time in Lincoln, and well, I don't know what was it, like thirty years or something like that yeah. back in yeah. whenever. And we were all recruited together. You know, a bunch of high school guys. There was a bunch of guys from Texas. You know, Thomas Houchin. You know, Brian Hickman, who's passed away a few years now. Josh Buell and Terry Pierce, and and all those guys. Terry wasn't with us because he went in the NFL, but. You know, we were really a close group, or I, I, you know, I still consider those guys today. If they called me, we could have a conversation. But we're just having fun. I mean, okay. when you have a group of guys that play together and they've gone through a lot together, it's a great setup. I think Coach Schneider was was one of those guys I, that he encouraged us to fight for each other and bond well. And I had early coaches like Coach Bennett, and you know, we went yeah. through that with him. And when Anthony Bates passed away, we went through that as a defensive line. And and you know, Coach Mo, who obviously is still there today. You know, they just knew we, we were all close. We were just a group, a good group of guys that, that, you know, we would, on the field, offense, defense, we'd get in a fight, and then afterwards we'd be hanging out, you know. And I'm sure they still do that today, yeah. or I hope they do, because it's important in, in that environment. But, no, I never did any – I can't even remember anything that we <laughs> – in particular that we ever did that was, yeah. that was pretty big. Yeah, I mean, it seems like just at the outside of it that Coach is the kind of guy who's so serious all the time that, that when he does crack a joke every once in a while, it's, it's really funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I remember times. I mean, the thing about it, I probably can't point to anything in particular unless I really sit back and thought about it, but I can still remember him laughing and smiling at things. Yeah. I think one time he probably got a kick out. We went to a catbaggers thing out in, oh gosh, it was like Dodge City or something like that. And I remember he sat across from me, and I don't know what he was doing, but I got really sick because the plane ride was bumpy and I was nauseous. I mean, I was one of those, like, like I was dripped in sweat. Or no, we were going, maybe it was somewhere in North Kansas City. Anyway. He sat across me with that purple pen doing something the whole time. And I remember, like, I just had my head down. It was probably like a 45-minute ride, but I remember just being pale as a ghost. And I remember him kind of <laughs> chuckling, like, here's this defensive end that's like this tough guy, big 265, 265 guy across from me, you know, that, uh-huh. that looks like he's just going to give it up. But I wanted to get off that plane so bad, I just kind of remember him laughing about that. But he just, you know, just – and I, I'll say this. Coach and I probably – I mean, I, I don't think – and I was a captain my senior year. I don't think – we didn't have a lot of sit downs where we would just talk forever or we yeah. would, you know, have a lot of times where, you know, I was in his office and we were just chit chatting. That didn't happen a lot, uh, you know, a lot, because I think yeah. that he, if I, his door was always open. Like if I would go up there today, his door was always open. Yeah. And it was one of those things where I think he probably knew that like, Hey, it, when Andrew needs me, he's going to come see me. Right. We had, yeah. an, I, I knew him well enough to, and he knew me well enough to know that like, if, if he needs me, he'll come see me. But I can say hi to him and check in on him, but I don't know, he, doesn't, he doesn't have to babysit me, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where I think some players, he felt like he kind of had to, to do that with them. And so now, like I said, I, I kind of see that balance probably more than most do where, you know, they may say, well, he wasn't, you know, I wasn't always in his office and he wasn't, he's not a player's coach, Brad. Yeah, he is. He's just right. in a different way, you know? And you're probably having more of those big conversations with your position coaches, right? Those are the guys you talk to more on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, yeah, because you're in meetings with you're in meetings with them all the time, and you know, you're you're doing things. And I mean, he was more over the the top of you know over everything. But yeah, your position coach is the ones he, they're he, they're communicating through him. And he's communicating through you know you, or you're communicating through them too. So yeah. So you mentioned the the Miracle Manhattan. One thing that was interesting about that, I, I watched that for the first time you know, last week, and I I didn't realize it. It was cool to see Coach Snyder being so vocal in the early years when. You know, reporters were, were criticizing his players, you know, saying, oh, you guys are just Kansas State. And he was very defensive in the media. And, you know, what that mean to, to have a coach like that who's got your back? You know, I can obviously personally say, like, anytime, if you face criticism, 
and I can't, again, I can't point to one particular area. I, I do think that there were times where maybe something happened and it was wrong or, or you know, somebody got in trouble where he had their back, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he always loved to say that word youngsters, right? You know, we know all <laughs> youngsters are good. I mean, I, yeah. I think he's, he's very defensive because he, he doesn't want to tarnish the Kansas State, you know, logo or football program in any way, the school, the university, right? And so, and those guys, those kids are his kids. I mean, they're, they're what he's up there till one or two a.m. in the morning. And yes, yes, he, there is that give and take, right? I mean, let's paint it out there. He has players there to play football to win football games, right? Mm-hmm. They're not there just to, you know, it's not a mentoring program for five years, okay? So you might, they might accuse him sometimes of, well, you know, he's all about players. No, yeah, he is a simple. He's got to do his job, right? That's why he's there. <laughs> But at the end of the day, and I personally know, right, that for me, there were things that happened when I was at K-State that he stepped in and helped me through and that we talked through. And so, you know, my hat's off to him for that. I mean, he didn't have to take the time with some stuff like that. And I know guys where he didn't have to walk them through some of the problems that they had or, or some of the issues. But you know what he did? He walked Coach Bennett through that with his wife passing. He was there with him in the hospital. He walked him through that. And I guarantee if you got Coach Bennett on the phone right now, he'd say the exact same thing. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And there were other coaches where things happened like that that were big items that he walked side by side with them. He didn't babysit them, but he walked with them through. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, do you have any sense of, of how many other Division One coaches would do that? Or is that? I mean, I don't. I mean, I I have had a lot of great coaches in, in my career. Even my high school coach, who is still there to this day, still winning championships, John Roderick. Wow. I mean. The man is phenomenal. If I called him today and said, hey, I need this, he'd do it for me in two seconds, okay? So <laughs> I've had a lot of coaches that I, I've been around that are like that. And, you know, I, I've been around some coaches, maybe even after K-State. I mean, I, you know, obviously I was only Detroit a year. But, you know, that's more of a different feel. That's more of a business than, than it is, hey, we're investing in the player personally, right? Yeah. But I, I do think that for the most part, I, I'm a, maybe more optimistic that there are a lot of coaches that would – care for their players but then i you know probably on the flip side of that there's probably a lot that they don't you know i mean you watch some of that stuff that's that's on uh what is it last chance you you see some <laughs> of the coaches and stuff right i mean some of those guys yeah they do go the extra mile for their players you see that right yeah but i just know there's the little things that he would do you know the the little thing card and phone calls and even to parents and things that he would do that are lost in today's world, right? I mean, think about how many times you've gotten a letter from somebody. I remember the first time Coach Snyder retired. I've got it on my wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sent him a letter and just said, hey, thank you so much for everything you've done for me. What was that, 05 or 06? Yeah, that's good. And he sent me a letter back and hand wrote the bottom part of the letter back to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he got thousands of cards and letters, right? Yeah. But he, he took the time to took the time to do that, which is you've seen that over the years, over his you know, however many 28-year career or whatever it is. You've seen him do that so many times. So, yeah. Uh, so you've basically, I mean, you, like you said, you spent a year in Detroit, but you've been mostly in Texas since you graduated, right? Yeah, I've moved here after school and been here ever since. Okay. So, I mean, how connected have you been able to stay with the program and talk to Coach Snyder much or anybody else? Well, okay, so I've been up there. I've only been up there twice or okay. no three times three times since i left which is kind of crazy but yeah i mean i've got four kids and i watch mm-hmm. them when i can but right now really with college football on saturday i don't get to watch any, any football. <laughs> yeah. i get to watch the cowboy game usually if i tape it you know record it and then maybe i'll get to flip through it a little bit but this is not the season of my life to go sit down and watch a four-hour football game right or go yeah. to manhattan for the week so but i do follow it i mean it's one of those things where 
as soon as I found out he retired, I'm calling a couple of my friends that are really connected to K-State football and talking over with them. And I had to talk to them, you know, maybe for a year or two. But, yeah. uh, you know, I do follow it. What about, uh, I mean, I bet you could probably have some fun conversations with your Texas colleagues or friends, right? Have you got any UT buddies? Yeah, no, I try to stay away from <laughs> oh, those kind of Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, my wife's family, they're, uh, well, her It'd be her cousins and aunt and uncle. They're all UT fans. So, you know, we, it's, yeah, sometimes it's a bit of rivalry. We, we've kind of got the best of them lately. You know, yeah, the whole, yeah, you know, everything's exactly. been going on down there in Austin. So, and I got to ask, you mentioned four kids. It's probably a little early, but any future Wildcats in that group? Uh, well, maybe. My daughter, she wants to play volleyball at K State so bad it's not even funny. So we'll <laughs> see. And then my son, yeah, he, he's already decked out in all the K State gear down here in Texas anyway. So, but, uh, you know, my, hey, I tell my kids and my players all the time, I had a great career. I had a great time. I don't need to live vicariously through them. So, mm-hmm. whatever y'all want to do, I'm with you. I'll support you. But at the end of the day, if you don't want to play, you know, if you don't want to uh, play beyond high school, that's fine. They, they don't have choice until they get a high school, by the way. My kids play. I'm a big believer in, in athletics mm-hmm. and what that teaches you outside of life. So they're, until they're 18, they can make the decision not to play sports anymore. But until then, it's my call. So, okay. Cool. But, cool. yeah. All right. Well, I think that's probably about it. Uh, All right. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Andrew. Really appreciate you coming on. You're welcome. But now we move on to one of our favorite guests on the podcast. Hardly needs an introduction at this point. It's Nick Lecky. Nick, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. So, talking about Bill Snyder, I mean, let's just kind of start from the beginning for you. You know, you were a kid in Texas. K-State had just won the the Big 12 championship in 98, so you probably kind of had an idea of who they were. You know, what was your impression of, of Bill Snyder and the K-State program when they first came knocking at your door? Honestly, so I remember Greg Peterson was my recruiting coach, mm-hmm. uh, or not, he was the, the guy who was recruiting me. And I thought, no chance in hell am I going to K-State. I was like, no way. I'm like, good for you, buddy. Like, I remember he came around, and then I believe a Mizzou guy came around. Okay. And I remember thinking, not a chance, no way. But I like you, so I'll talk to you, and I like to get out of class, so I'll talk to you that too. <laughs> so then what kind of changed your mind? So I had recruiting trips, and I remember, like, all the Fridays in January that year were sevens, right? They were, like, I think they were, like, 7, 14, 21, 28. So I believe on the 7th, I was going to go to LSU, 14th, was going to go to Texas, 21, maybe Duke, and 28, I think I had left open for some random for, like, to see if anyone was coming in late. Okay. I think the 28th. So I, I so and because I thought we were gonna make a run because the year before in high school we made a run to state championship we yeah. won state yeah and I think it went until like December twelfth I think we won state yeah December Texas 12th. goes late oh yeah and it's even later now I, I think yeah. last year I think they were playing like the state championship games on like Christmas Eve Jeez. so yeah it's I mean it's it's crazy like it's crazy like we played fifteen games my junior year of high school. So yeah, so was, so I, I left all of December open, and we got upset first round of playoffs, and that was like November. Mm-hmm. It was like like you know I think it was like the week before Thanksgiving, and I remember Coach Peterson coming in after because we got the week off Thanksgiving, and then he he came back that next week, and he was like, hey, listen, you don't have any, you still got one more recruiting trip you have unplanned. Why don't you come up to K State this weekend and just just give us a shot. And I was like, okay. And then in the back of my mind thinking, no way. I don't think so, buddy. <laughs> and I, I went up there on Friday, 
And I just, I really just fell in love with Manhattan. I just, I, I like the idea of getting out of Texas for one, you know, getting out of the, the, uh, the cult of Texas and everything like that. And, and I like the idea of just focusing on school and football. Yeah. Uh, I think that's something that that's easy for, for me to do to just distance myself from all the big city distractions of Austin, Baton Rouge, sure. or, or anything like that. So did you meet Bill Snyder on that first trip? Or did that come I out? did. I did. Um, and surprisingly enough, too, uh, when I was in his office on Sunday morning about to leave, he didn't offer me a trip. He didn't offer me a scholarship. Huh. So I was like, I was like, okay, cool. Like, cause I was ready to commit. Like if he would have offered yeah. me a scholarship, I would have been like, okay, I'm in. Yeah. But it wasn't until I got home and Greg Peterson was like, I am so sorry. We wanted to offer you a scholarship. I just <laughs> forgot to. So I was like, I was like, I'm ready to commit. Like I'm ready to commit right now. Yeah. And then of course that next day, like that Monday, Texas was like, okay, we want you to commit. And I'm like, man, daylight dollar short, buddy. <laughs> I, I wanted to go there like if you would have told me that last week I would have went to Texas in a heartbeat but yeah. I committed to K-State and that, that was it wow there you go and so I know on a previous podcast you know, you've referred to Snyder as the old man did you always talk about him that way or? yeah we called him Omar old man river <laughs> and just cause you know, just, you know he knew us up and it's a funny way of, of you know, telling the coach that you know it's with the utmost respect and love but yeah we called him Omar or old man river or the old man or coach you know mm -hmm. uh, whatever but but he was he was the uh, leader of our lives and you know he controlled our, our destiny so to speak and uh, just groomed us uh, into crappy punk ass teenagers <laughs> to, to kind of not so punk ass men <laughs> yeah and it seems like everybody that, that interacts with Bill Snyder always has a story about, you know, just illustrating his work ethic and attention to detail. You know, is there anything that, that sticks out for you? Yeah, I, I just never, like, I remember in a game, like, the, the defense would come up with, like, a funky look for us on offense. And we get back to the sidelines, and our, our line coach, whether it be Bob Stanley or Paul Dunn, would tell us, hey, listen, it's just like practice. It's that look, you know, we, we told you guys, and here's how we're going to do it. And I just thought that's how it went. And then my rookie year and second or third year in the NFL, the defense would throw us a look that was funky, and our coach would be like, we have not seen this look. Uh, you know, we have to improvise right here. And I was thinking, like, man, Coach Snyder really is that attention to detail that we, we were literally prepared for, for anything that team could, could throw at us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, were you always prepared, or I mean, was there anything like he showed you, and oh, oh, they won't do that, maybe you don't pay attention? or Always. If anything, we, we erred on the side of being overprepared. Where mm -hmm. just so much minutia uh, that we learned about everything. Like we'd watch film from two years ago from if it had a new D coordinator, and, and I think that's why that's why the early games were so difficult for Snyder is because you don't have that much game footage, you don't have that much stats, you don't have that much tendencies yet. So it, it was tougher for him to game plan because that's all he does is just devour film. Yeah, and, yeah. Just, and just share it with us. So, I mean, how was it ever tough to, to find the time as a student-athlete to, to do all that? Or? Oh, hell no, no. I mean, because obviously it's, it's you know, you, you go to class and you yeah. get stuff done, and then, you know, you, it's football the, the other time. Yeah. And I remember we would, during the season, we'd have Sundays off. Like, Sundays would be totally off, which was great. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. like, Saturday was, like, the big time for us to go, for, for me, to go out to Aggieville and be a normal college student. That's why I loved the 11 o'clock ABC games because we play our game, we get done at 2.30, so I'd be home about 3 o'clock, and then, you know, eat, hang out, and then we go hit the bars 
and you know it'd, it'd be a great time <laughs> and get to sleep in Sunday. Yeah. And then Monday was a full day. It went from two forty-five, and I didn't get home to my house till about ten o'clock at night. Yeah. And you hear a lot of the assistants talk about, you know, yeah, it was hard work, but you always knew the bill was working harder than you. So, you know, that kind of made it easier. Did you feel that same way as a player? Oh, 100%. There were times where, I don't know if it was Saturday or what, but there were times we'd go out and we'd, we'd be driving by the facility and his silver Cadillac would still be there in a spot. And it's like, man, that guy was like seriously first in, last out, always. You could always count on that. And I think that's just where he felt most comfortable. Like he'd be in the facility in his in his, in his either his suit with no jacket or in his warm up bowl gear with no <laughs> no no shoes on. You know, just walking around the facility yeah. in his socks, like in his living room. And I think that's just where he loved and loved to be and loved to hang out and loved to watch film. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the funniest Snyder things was that I think it was Big Twelve Media Day, and it was uh, junior year. So it was Terrence Newman and I, we rode down with Coach Snyder to Houston, I think, and we took the private jet. Yeah. And this was, what, like April, right, or, or March, March or April? Okay. And we went down there, and this man is is looking at packets of information on Iowa State, Nebraska, <laughs> all the Big 12 North opponents. And I was like, I was like, Coach, what do you like to do? What do you like to do in your off time? And he was like, this. And I was like, you don't golf or drink? And he's like, no, not too much. Uh, I was like, what about Coco Bolo? He's like, you like going to Coco Bolo? He's like, yeah, I'll go there every now and again. But yeah, I was like, that's too funny. I was like, that's his hobby, man. It's like, and, yeah. and it's a good thing. You know, if you're a coach, just to, to not have a job. You know, it's like, it's, that's, he loves what he does. So it's not a job. It's just, it's fun for him. Right. And so you were there, I mean, obviously during some good years, but also, you know, 2001, you guys were just 6-6. Six and six. Was his approach any different? No, no. I think if anything, what happened was, uh, for one, I definitely blame terrorists, 9-11. So sure, that really screwed up the whole, whole year, of course. <laughs> and then injuries. The injury bug just got us. And, and L was a, a young quarterback. He was a sophomore at the time. And uh, him and Mark Dunn were, were competing for a spot, I think. Yeah. yeah. And so it was funky, just a funky year, man. A lot of injuries. Yeah. Just couldn't get stuff done. And we were ranked high in preseason right. and just couldn't just, I think we got big heads. So that's why I was like when K-State's not favored in the uh, preseason was because that, that it's just, it gives you a chip on your shoulder. And I think we as K-Staters do best when we got a chip on our shoulder. Mm-hmm. So, um, but nothing like he wasn't any harder on you in locker room or practices or anything like that. Oh, he stayed, he stayed <laughs> hard on us for yeah. sure. Like he definitely, Definitely, definitely made us work. We definitely, you know, it's, you know, cast in the, in the forge, you know, we were yeah. refined, refined metal yeah. you know, after, after with him. So that didn't change. And that's why we're always so strong late is because of that, that harshness and, and that we get stronger over the season. Right. And so, I mean, on the flip side of that, you know, when you guys had, were winning a lot, especially in 2003, you got some big wins, you know, we don't see a whole lot of celebrations from him on the sideline or in public, you know. Do you see any more in the locker room or elsewhere? No. <laughs> and, and it, but, it, but it was cool because he's like um, – like my mom was a flight attendant uh-huh. for Delta Airlines for like 27 years. And she said part of her job was just to keep a straight face whether it's everything smooth or whether it's turbulent as all get out. And I think that was coach. You know, he was like like the, the flight attendant or the captain of the ship where, where you can always look to him and, you know, it's never – Never too good, never too bad. And if you think you're doing good, you can always do better. And if you're doing bad, then you know you can 
fix those problems and, and get better. Yeah. Like, I, I like this story. I think I saw somebody on Twitter recently posted, like, in 93 or something. You know, they, they told Coach, wow, yeah, you guys had a great season, man, in three. That's amazing. He said, oh, we can still get better. We, yeah. That's his first response. Absolutely. I, I, think, I think the only person who ever got a, a post-game compliment was, I think, Mark Simino, maybe after, like, a Mizzou <laughs> game or after a Texas game. But I think he, he said that Mark played, like, the perfect game. So that was the only compliment ever ever given out after a game. And that was that was before my time. I mean, that was hung around the locker room. Uh-huh. So, I mean, I'm sure, you know, you guys were celebrating after some of those big wins. So, like, did, did he discourage that at all? Or did you just kind of, oh, let kids be kids? He would always tell us to be gracious in the media, thank your opponents. Uh-huh. But in the locker room, yeah, man, it's the locker room. So, yeah. you know, it's all types of wildness and crazy <laughs> celebrations and just exciting, especially road wins to celebrate someone else's locker room is fantastic. And, yeah. and I think that that's what you have to do is you keep the celebrations in-house and then you present a brave face to the, the public. Yeah. And, I mean, certainly, you know, there's a lot of swagger on, on some of those minor teams seems like he didn't really do a lot to tamp that down. And we even saw, I mean, looking back on that, that Miracle Manhattan video, you know, it was interesting to see the earliest night of press conferences where he had a lot of fire, you know, was really defending his players against, you know, when the media said, oh, you guys are just K-State, you're not very good. You know, it was, it was kind of cool to see him supporting the players like that. Yeah, well, and it was cool too because I, th- I think you were allowed as much leash as you could you could muster without getting a, a penalty. Mm-hmm. And, and I think he appreciated that enthusiasm, that joy to be of everything about, about playing football. And, and I think that that's what you need to do is, is you know, you, you score, you celebrate with your teammates, man. You get a sack, you know, you celebrate with your teammates. And, and I think that's the, the beauty of it. And that that's what you play for is to, to do both of those things. Yeah. And so then when you finish up your career, obviously, you know, you were a big, Pro prospect, you know, how much did he help you out going through that process? Well, I kind of pieced out. I, I was I was burnt out with Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, I, I had a fake ID since I was a freshman, uh-huh. so I, I'd been going out to the bars for about three, three, four years, or three and a half years. Uh-huh. So I was <laughs> I was ready for a change of scenery. Uh, so that's why I went down to New Orleans to train for the combine, which was okay. one of the worst mistakes I ever did in my life. Well, hey, let's go back. I mean, that big idea has got to be tough because after not too long, probably people know who you are, right? So either they're like, oh, we don't, we don't care or, you know, whether people well, who said. Well, I, I don't know. I don't think that. I think because yeah. they thought I was playing that they thought I was older. Okay. Right? Oh, and then okay. you got to think back in 2000 or 2001 or 2002, they didn't, I mean, you didn't have Twitter. So people right. didn't know yeah. that I was, I mean, they, they thought I was a big player, but they probably didn't think I was the, the, the left guard. For, for K-State, <laughs> you know, then I don't think they thought that. And I think that they probably just, I hope the statute of limitations has run out, Luke. I used to go drink a place and, and they, they ID me and I had my fake ID and I was good yeah. to go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Plus I was 305 pounds, so that's yeah. fine. Yeah. It's a lot of, a lot of uh, bourbon to be drunk. And then, I mean, another part of your K-State story, of course, is you, you came back. Um, you know, the online classes, I think you, you got your degree. I know you said your family was the primary motivation for that, I think. Yeah, uh, my, my mom, my mom, my aunt, they, they realized like my eligibility was up. I played my four seasons, yeah. and I was going to go to the NFL. And they were like, man, promise me once it's done to get your degree. 
And I was like, all right, I'll do that. Plus, mm-hmm. to me, it was like a, it always was a, um, a, a nagging thing to me why I, did, I hadn't finished my degree. And I wanted to be able to tell Snyder or to have Snyder say uh, when he's recruiting kids or when he's your recruit, because you don't recruit the kids, you recruit the parents also. And I wanted him to be able to tell parents, like, listen, here's this guy. He played for us. You know, he's All-American. He was a captain for us, all that good stuff. And then went to the NFL. But we still have a place for him back here. And he's able to get his degree uh, online during his NFL career and then after. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, did you talk with him about that? Was he appreciative of that? Oh, yeah. He definitely appreciated that for sure. Like, he told me congratulations. And you know, he was really cool about that. Obviously, because that helps the program. Yeah, yeah, and you even got to speak at the commencement, right? Yeah, I was my uh, I was our commencement speaker for the, the College of Human Ecology for uh, our, our graduation in uh, December of 2012. Okay. Yeah, I got to speak and everything. It was really really cool. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. Nice. And so you know, I know we've talked a little bit about how you, you keep in touch with Snyder. You know, not not super close or anything. But um, I guess first of all, I guess I think I have to ask. You know, have you gotten any of the Famous Snyder notes? No, no, because uh, you know I'll I'll go up there for my work brings me to Manhattan, uh-huh. and I'll go in there and I'll I'll go in his office and just chat with him for about ten or fifteen minutes and just just check in, say what's up, ask him how he's doing, you know, mm-hmm. basic stuff. Mm-hmm. He's always got time for old players. Yeah, yeah. And so I mean, you alluded to it earlier in the podcast. We've talked about. Have you figured out yet what he's gonna do in retirement? No, <laughs> <laughs> I think he's gonna get. Scott Eiler, our, our video guy, to put on DVD uh, clips or film, like game film, and he's going to watch it. Uh, I think the funniest <laughs> thing for me was after, I think it was after like a KU game in 2012 or 2013, and I, I went to the game, and uh, I was out in the parking lot, and I was drinking with some of the coaches. Uh, they were out mm-hmm. tailgating post-game, post mm-hmm. so I don't know, tailgating after the game. And uh, I was like, where's Coach? And I'm like, oh, he's up in his office. So I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> so I went in there, and he had changed from his bowl sweats to a suit and no <laughs> no shoes, no shoes. And he was standing up in his office watching film. And I was like, man, that's classic. That's so classic. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of classic, I mean, he always you know, kept the old clothes for the Nike Cortez that everybody talks about. You know, did you guys talk to him about his style? Oh yeah, oh, man. It was. I was like, man, that's that was that was something else, man. He just didn't mess with. It. He just. I was like, I was like, why do you like him? He's like, well, I, they they fit well and I like them. So <laughs> I believe he had Shorty back in the day, Jim Finau, the old trainer. Um, Al Serby's obviously the, the new trainer. Uh, he had Shorty uh, get him probably like 20, 30 pairs, and it almost probably reminded me of when JFK before he signed the Cuban embargo. That I believe he had one of his assistants go all around the D.C. area and scoop up a bunch of his, uh, I think he did like the Petite Coronas of the H. Upmans or something like that, Cuban cigars. And I think he got him like 2,600 cigars. And then as soon as his assistant was back and said he obtained the 2,600 cigars, JFK signed the Cuban embargo. I think it was, I think it was something like that where he had Shorty go around and get him like 20, 30 pairs of Cortez. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of wondered how. Yeah, how he had those. You you can't just go out and buy those anymore. Right. I, I think they're retroing them again, so I okay. think you're starting to. Um, they should change it from the Cortez to the Air Bills or yeah. something. Like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. All right. Well, uh, I think we'll probably go ahead and end it there. Appreciate you coming on as always, Nick. 
No problem. Thanks for having me, man. Anytime. So now we move on to our last guest on the entire 1.0 podcast, the All-American defensive end who played in Bill Snyder's last two years, Ian Campbell. Ian, thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I uh, appreciate letting me on the podcast. Yeah. So you grew up in Western Kansas. I, I Safe to assume you were a K State fan growing up? Or? Well, it's hard not to be a K State football <laughs> fan. They had a tremendous amount of success while I was growing up. You know, I would think I was in sixth grade during that 98 period. So that's a, a pretty hard imprint on your football life. And I've loved football since I was little. But, you know, everybody out there, I, I feel like, likes what's good <laughs> but yeah, yeah I, gr- I grew up a, a k-state fan so i watched bishop and yeah uh you know you had jk on earlier jeff kelly and mm-hmm. mark simino and all those guys so it was it was a, a pretty cool experience getting ready to go there and try to live that out later yeah yeah and in a lot of ways you're kind of the the prototypical center who to get the walk on who becomes a star and you know becomes an nfl caliber player you know, what do you think when you hear that narrative, oh, Bill Snyder just did more with less all the time? You know, you know it, it kind of sums things up for a lot of people. And I know a lot of people here overachiever. And, you know, it is a compliment, but at the same time, it's kind of a knock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of a double-edged sword. It's kind of like that Southern compliment. You're like, you say, bless his heart, because you're about to say something terrible about somebody. Right, <laughs> right. But... Coach, technically, he did more with less, and I kind of felt like I fell in that boat, too. You know, it's really just more like you get overlooked, I think, and there's a lot of people. I think the that's what's great about football is, you know, you can win just by sheer willpower. You know, most guys I played against every snap were better than me across the board, but if you just put your will against them for 60 to 70 snaps, all you got to do is win half the time, and you're going to have a tremendous amount of success, and I kind of feel like coach was really good about funneling that down through his assistant coaches and his coordinators and it just kind of trickled down to all of his players as well yeah yeah and we were talking with jeff and you know he was a pretty high-end recruit and they were getting a lot of those during that time anyway but he said coach always you know real quick let guys know that they weren't going to be any any big you know elite guys on the team did, did you kind of see that as well during your time yeah i thought coach treated everybody pretty much the same thing like pretty much the same i thought he was very good about it, it didn't matter if you were a scholarship guy i mean there were guys who were scholarship guys that i was playing above my red shirt freshman year yeah you know so your output and your performance mattered more than whatever your rivals rating was and yeah. it, that isn't what it is now you know now these guys can get film from somebody out near Fargo, North Dakota, and suddenly you're like, oh, this guy's a player. It's just easier to get access to film than it was, you know, 15 and 20 years ago. So the the recruiting game has changed quite a bit. I feel like coaches are getting better about measuring intangibles, whereas they were not maybe as capable of doing that. So some guys like, you know, like, I I don't want to compare myself to Jordy Nelson, but like Jordy Nelson and John McGraw, for them to slide in under the radar and be walk-ons is just like crazy. Yeah. Do you think that took away Snyder's edge a little bit then, uh, that it was tougher to, to find the diamond in the rough? Well, I think that because, yeah, that recruiting changed, it did kind of change the whole dynamic, but those guys started to get attention and get scholarships from, you know, 1AA's, and North Dakota State actually, mm-hmm. ironically, came in <laughs> late in the game and was recruiting some Kansas kids who may have been walk-ons who had some pretty good production 
and, and so some of those guys got taken out from under the rug at some point. But you know, to say Kansas State is anything other than walk on you, you know, I mean, I think that they are. I, mm-hmm. I don't. I think you'd be hard pressed to find anywhere that had a higher point of success for guys who were a bunch of nobodies, basically. Yeah. And so that brings up something. I mean, you won um, your second year the, the Purple Pride Award as a top walk-on. And at some programs, that might be looked at as just a glorified participation trophy, but that probably meant a lot at Kansas State for you. It did mean a lot to me. You know, the, the walk-on tradition, Joe Bob Clemens was a big reason I went there. He, he was a walk-on. He uh, played defensive end during that 98 era when that defense was just – that was ran with J.K. and It had uh, Mark Simnoe, and it had, a, I want to say – Oaks might have been mm-hmm. the third linebacker. Maybe that was 97. Yeah. Um, you know, he was part of that defense, and I wanted to be a part of that walk-on tradition that Kansas State had. I know I, I was overlooked, and I was fortunate my brother played middle linebacker at Wyoming, and he told me that he thought I had what it took to be able to play at that level. So I really wanted to not just prove to myself, but prove to everybody else I could do it. Yeah. And that's where I got my opportunity. Now you mentioned the linebackers. It was funny. We were talking with Jeff Kelly, and – he was saying when he got hurt and the Big 12 title game, he had to come out, and Ben Lieber was a backup. So, yeah, and yeah, and that's, and you know, and Ben played, you know, what, 10 or 11 years in the league. Right. Ben was a tremendous right. player. Right. And so another thing with the recruits, you know, sometimes we hear from K-State fans or I even heard, have heard some national writers talk about it. They suggest that, you know, the later years of Snyder 1.0, so when you were playing, you know, Snyder had some issues, maybe focused too much on trying to get some top recruits, and that that was – why he didn't focus on those guys as much his second go-round. You know, do you think there's any truth to that? You know, I, for most of that stuff, for me, it's it's so hard as, like, to walk the line of being a former player and being a fan and being a right. spectator. I try not to danger too far into the side of being a fan because mm-hmm. you get caught up in a lot of speculation that I don't know if it's true or not. Yeah. And I have an ear closer to some of the coaches than a lot of other people do, but I really try not to leverage – that friendship or relationship <laughs> to get information because I just feel like it puts them in a bad spot, so I just kind of try to play stupid. Okay. And uh, yeah, Nick, Nick that, that's that's actually. completely possible. It's completely possible. You know, I, I think that the recruiting game changes, and you know, as time progresses, it's hard to stay caught up on all the trends. And you know, I mean, maybe at the end it was hard for a little bit harder for coach because the game had changed as far as the recruiting goes. You know. I, obviously depth has been detrimental to K-State for a very long time. So it's not necessarily a lack of talent. It's more like a lack of depth. I feel like it hurt me two years of the four and a half, you know, over the five seasons counting a redshirt that I was there, that we had like one or two key guys get hurt. And that was a difference of like uh, two or three losses. Right, Right. And I felt like this season was that way too. I mean, the secondary was beat up really bad this year. I think that the defense did a lot, considering that they had a really makeshift secondary. Not that the guys aren't going to be good, but they're young, you know, so they're not quite ready to be out there going against the Big 12 guys. Yeah, and you but, guys, especially in 2005, were so close in a lot of those losses. Oh, yeah, I think we lost, like, four or five games by less than, like, I don't know, like, less than a touchdown. Like, a couple yeah. of them were, like, three points or one or two points or something like that. And a lot of people don't know, but I actually uh, – you know, coach retired that game. It was my first year to play. I blocked that kick that Marcus Perry returned for a touchdown. Uh-huh. And, you know, and that was his, you know, his first last game. And yeah. it, it, it was pretty special to see, you know, Jordy and Clary carry coach off the field. Yeah. But, you know, with everything that happened in 06 and 07 and 08, and I won't pile into all that stuff during the yeah. 
the, the Prince the Prince era. Right. Just everybody uh, can listen to the Box Boxcars Boys podcast for that, right? Yeah, yeah, you got to tune in somewhere else. And uh, I, I don't want to open up that can of worms again. But I really think that he came back, and I think his second resurrection of Kansas State football was equally as impressive as his first. Because I don't think people realize we were really bad. Our defense, by the time my senior came around, we were so bad. We were probably 108th or 109th defense in the country. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea what we went through on the like the interior of what was happening behind the doors, but it was bad. So the fact that they came around and they even won, I think, six games that next year, and then they, you know, then the wins kept snowballing and picking up, and eventually got another Big Twelve title. You know, the recruiting maybe isn't what it it should be, but but what I have seen that's positive that the fans can all feed off of is they have funneled money and funds and facilities into K State, and Manhattan is way up as far as a municipality and a town and a college campus than it was 20 years ago. Right. And that's, so that's I think it's thing. a much hotter spot to go to, like where people are like, oh, how could you recruit to Manhattan, Kansas? I'm like, well, the airport is a whole different game as well, too. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. it is not what Manhattan was 20 years ago or even 10 years ago when I played. Right. It's a completely yeah. different place. And that's what annoys me the most when people say, oh, the program has fallen back to almost as bad as it was before Snyder got here. And that's impossible. Yeah, and when sports writers write that, it's just lazy. That's some guy who hasn't visited Manhattan in so long. They don't have any real frame of reference. They're just going off of something that they read a blurb about, you know, from 10 years ago. Like, well, why recruiting's hard? And they'll bring up how that 13-mile stretch between I-70 really hurts them because they are not direct access. They just – that story is old, and they're reiterating old crap. Yeah, yeah. And so I want to talk more about that Snyder's retirement. But first of all, actually, I did want to – I'm sorry to, to bring up a bad memory here, but this is actually a game I went to in 2004. I skipped my homecoming, senior homecoming in high school to go to Lawrence for the, the game that you oh, guys yeah. there. Oh, yeah. You know, I was actually a redshirt that year. I did right. not I did not play. Okay, okay. So that was my first year, but I was there, and I was in yeah. the stands, and that, that burned a searing hate in my heart for yeah. a very long time. Yeah. It took me a really long time to get over that. Well, and so I, I don't know if you'd be able to answer this. Maybe you weren't in the locker room, but, I mean, do you feel like that was a loss that a coach took harder than others? Because it seemed like he always got his teams up for KU. I mean, his record against them is pretty incredible. But uh, I'm inclined to think, I mean, coach takes all the losses pretty hard, but right. I think the fact that, you know, you just kind of run dominance over the state and it impacts your recruiting. Right. And that kind of – instituted a, a changing of the guard we ended up winning in 05 but it was mm-hmm. by the skin of our teeth and it was like probably one of the worst boring games you ever played it was like 6 to 14 right yeah. and uh and then we lost i think that was 12 3 wasn't it was the yeah. 12 3 game yeah it was yeah whatever yeah, it was it was yeah. really and then we lost the next three games so i mean uh-huh. i went one and one in three all-time in games against KU, and I would have never thought that stat would have ever got thrown out when I yeah. was on my way up to K-State. Right, yeah, that's kind of crazy. But then, to, to, to get back to a more positive note, I was actually also at the K-State-Missouri game, and that was uh, unique for me because I was a freshman at Mizzou, so I went for, for journalism, and but I knew enough people at K-State. I got to sit in the student section for that game, and I was, you know, one of my purple because I grew up in a K-State family and all that but you know what did it mean to you guys to, to, to send them out like that well really? i really think for that group of guys and none of us ever knew coaches coming back but i think that meant the world to everybody and i could be mistaken but i'm pretty sure i feel like marcus watts got hurt that game 
and maybe it was that game. And you got to forgive me because it was a while back. Right. But I, I, the image of Marcus getting loaded up onto the ambulance and Coach being out there with him always sticks with me. Yeah. And I mean, I haven't talked to Marcus in a long time, but I know that that probably sticks with him and meant a lot to him because he would go out there and check on his guys. Yeah. Not that coaches don't, but there's just, I don't know, there's just a way about it that was different. I unfortunately didn't get as close with coach as I would have liked to have, but he mm-hmm. stayed in a decent amount of contact even as he was on his way out while I was still playing my last right. three years because right. yeah. I was a Snyder guy. Yeah. And really I had I had Sean through the whole deal, and I have a lot of respect for Sean mm-hmm. from an operations point. Mm-hmm. And he really did a lot through that time period to try to, if you will, hold the legacy together and kind of hold – things together when it wasn't great like yeah. it's easy to just walk out of a place and say oh well whatever happens happens and you know sean stuck it out during a time period where it wasn't necessarily easy to stick it out to try to hold some resemblance of what was together right. and you know some guys don't don't love sean because he was the guy that had to you know he was almost the turk if you will if you've watched the nfl hbo hard knocks but, you know, if you didn't mess up, you didn't really have to have a lot of negative dealings with Sean. Yeah. And it's not that you can't mess up. You just have to be accountable and responsible for your actions. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with making a mistake. Just, you know, own up to it and move forward. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, what was that like, though, in the, the week leading up to a game? Because, you know, he announced his retirement early, obviously. You know, going out and knowing that this was Coach's last game. Is that... It was weird. I mean, anytime you have something, it's a monumental shift. Yeah. And you just see, you know, you're close with your assistant coaches, and you just see uh, just a tremendous amount of uncertainty happening. You know, we get caught up so much in the wins and the losses, and I always try to bring that perspective to people that there's a good probability that people are moving their whole and uprooting their entire family, and they don't know what their income and their career looks like going mm-hmm. forward. Now, maybe it's going to move forward in a positive way, or maybe it's going to take a huge step back. So there's a, a lot of very serious uncertainties besides just whether, hey, we're going to go to a bowl game this year. So, you know, sports demands quick response and quick performance. Yeah. You know, and I don't think that there's any other business in the world that demands that kind of immediate impact that sports does. So of course, you know, that put a, a huge spotlight on Coach that week. I mean, do you think he was annoyed by it? You know, there's some talk that maybe that was part of the reason he didn't do that. As much as he, he's very much stayed out of the spotlight this time around. You know, you know it could have been it could have been anything, but it could have been that he wanted to try to relish it and yeah. be enjoy what he had left with the players and the coaches that he had while he had the time. You know, kind of. Yeah. You know, it's kind of cheesy, but maybe it's kind of like putting your phone down while you're having a dinner with your friends or sitting around visiting. You know, mm-hmm. you could be checking in on everything else, but, you know, it's nice to just flip your phone upside down and to just not look at it for a couple hours. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's just like if it was it, – if it, it is his real last week of football. I mean, obviously he's going to watch football, but, you know, yeah. his last week <laughs> where he's just completely enthralled in it, you know, he wanted to maybe live every moment of it. Other, I mean, that's just speculation, but yeah. maybe that's yeah, what we he were did. talking to, to Nick Becky, and he was saying that he's betting that Coach will get the video guy to send him film, and he'll still watch all the games and stuff. <laughs> even oh, though. yeah, without question. I have no <laughs> doubt. Yeah, see, yeah, Nick has a completely 
he had you know f- four and a half years of coach and when you're the starting center you're gonna have a lot of conversations you know so i was just like that quiet freshman who's just trying not to mess up and just try to just get noticed for doing the good things you know so i didn't quite get to let my personality get known by coach early enough in my career you know i was just trying not to cause any trouble yeah yeah you managed to stay out of trouble yeah, well, for the most part, I did get in trouble one time, but you know, lessons okay. learned, and yeah. I moved on. Yeah. And they gave me another opportunity, so yeah. just yeah. dumb kid stuff. Yeah. Did but, you get to run some stairs for that? Or? Oh my gosh, I ran so much. <laughs> I've never ran so much in my life. I just remember Joe Bob being like, "Hey, you know, you're still on the team, but just so you yeah. know, you're gonna wish you we had kicked you off by the time this is over." With. <laughs> I just, I just remember thinking, "Oh shit!" But I mean, I was like, yeah. I was 19 or something like that, and I was like, "I can run all day, so let's do this." And, yeah. <laughs> and I did. They, they put that to the test for real. I ran a lot. I think I did like two or three PI 600s a week and a lot of running. But yeah, yeah, yeah. hard to gain weight when you're running that much, <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah. So I guess just this last thing, and we'll let you go. I mean, even though it was a short time, you know, do you feel like there are things that you, that you take some choice that you still kind of follow? In your life, absolutely. Or? I'm on cat time every day, <laughs> yeah. man. It drives me crazy to be late. It, it's, it does. I'm like, oh, it's like uh-huh. it's just like an inner built in me. I'm like, you got to yeah. be there, you got to get there early. Right, Don't want right. to miss the previews, not just work life and everything like that. I think the accountability thing really sticks pretty heavy with you, and that's something that goes missing a lot in leadership from people these days. It's so everybody is really quick to shuffle the blame off on somebody else instead of just shouldering it. Mm-hmm. and I see that a lot with K-State guys that they're really good. Like if you watch Dalton this year, he would talk about what I need to do, you know, and he's having an All-American year, and he would talk about what I need to do to make everybody else better. Right. And even if he and he might be grading that grading out at 92 or 94 percent in games, and that's just the kind of effort and leadership that you need that says no matter if I'm doing everything I can, what can I do that can help uplift somebody else so that improves their play, mm-hmm. and that's probably what I try to do most with how I live is helping other people. It's an investment in other people. I think that's the greatest thing you can do with your life is to invest in other people, whatever you're, it doesn't mean you have to be a coach. You can just still, you know, give a shit about people and take time out of your day to let them know you care. And, you know, I may not do handwritten letters, but I try to, (laughs) I try to let people know when they're doing something good, when they're doing something right, because I think it goes a long way. I think a lot of people do a lot of good work without being noticed and I think that everybody appreciates a, a pat on the back every now and then. Yeah, and I'm sure whatever Coach ends up doing next, there will be some mentoring involved. Oh, yeah, he'll never stop doing that. Yeah. He'll always be that. All right, well, thanks so much, Ian, for joining us. We appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, absolutely, guys. I appreciate having yeah. me. Happy to come on another time, too. All right. So, yeah, okay. I yeah. the weather bubble and